just want to say good morning to all of you, good morning to those watching online. And um, today we're going to jump into a, a series that's going to take us a, a few weeks, I think it's five weeks, that we'll, we'll run through a, a series um, called Exiles, and we'll unpack that in a little bit in a minute. But um, I want to ask a question, if, if you've ever maybe uh, been in a situation like this, where something was maybe done wrong to you, or maybe, maybe you know, uh, maybe you've done something wrong to somebody, maybe, I'm kind of thinking like, you see this played out with kids a lot. I know us as adults, maybe we've learned a little better. But where something has been done wrong or you've done something wrong and you're told basically to say sorry, right? Anybody ever seen that or with your kids? And you tell your, your children maybe or maybe yourself, maybe your wife has, or husband has told you something and they say, you know, you need to say sorry. And of course, there's the heartfelt, you know, kind of look and they just say, I'm sorry. Anybody been in that position? And maybe I had that done, you know, and you're kind of, you sit there, especially if you're the one that was wronged, and you're kind of like, I don't think that was heartfelt. <laughs> you know, I think you can do better than that, you know, and, you know, you see them, and they're like, I'm sorry. And it's just kind of sitting there, and you're like, you know, you're, you, you want more, right? You want something that comes from the depth of the heart. You know that that's, it's a much deeper, I'm sorry, than just saying the words. And, you know, how many know that it's easy to say it? but not really mean it on the inside, right? And I think so often we can fall into that and so often that can take place. And you know, it comes down to something really and what we're gonna be hitting on today uh, for a while is, is it comes down to the issues of our heart, doesn't it? You know, it's, it talks about what does is, what is genuine repentance look like? And that's something, you know, I think we, it takes probably a lifetime to truly come into that and we're still working on it in some cases because again we can say the words we can even have actions with it but if it's not coming from our heart it's just it doesn't really strike on the ground that it needs to and so today as we enter into this series called exiles and you know the kind of the tagline here is it's the power of repentance and how many here are just awesome at repenting well, I almost had you you know it's 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 hard isn't it it's hard because, again, it takes us to look at ourselves. It takes us to, you know, kind of look in the mirror and, and, and say, you know what? You know, those, those, that famous phrase that just is so hard is, is I was wrong. <laughs> Husbands in here, anybody learn that yet? Yeah. Okay, I see some nudges going on. Yep. But it's, it's, hard. it's hard to say that. It doesn't come naturally, but it's where we need to be. And so, again, we're going to kind of take this idea of, of what is repentance in the heart of it, and we're going to be looking at how the Hebrew exiles returning to, to Jerusalem in the Old Testament were restored to worship. And that was kind of the, the, what God was wanting and what was God was bringing them to. And, you know, one of the things uh, nowadays that also it intrigues me um, is seeing something that is, is being built. I don't know if, you know, if you come in, I forget this road over here, and there's a house being built. If you see houses that are being built, and it's always been intriguing to me, a house or especially a large building in the process, right? It's like every time you drive by, you see a little more added to it. You see this structure being built, and to see it kind of from start to finish, it's, it's really fascinating um, that, you know, where the pieces are going and how they work together and how they fit together. Um, and, you know, I, I really... Uh, it just, it's, you see it all around because there's so many places are, where construction's happening. But to take it kind of a, a step further, you know, again, what's, what really is fascinating is that when you see things that maybe are rebuilt, that's something that maybe has been hit by something or has had a collapse or something, and they, they come in and they begin to work with what's there. 
And the first step when that happens, you know, can they just go straight to building? You can't, can you? you there, there's a, there's, first you have to get in there and you have to start cleaning out the rubble, right? You have to clean out the things that have collapsed or that have failed. And you know, as we, we enter into this series and what, what they're facing today, and a portion of it is, is that we're gonna look in Nehemiah where the, the walls of, of Jerusalem are gonna be rebuilt. And you know, it starts with really, there's, there's this cleanup of the rubble. They can't just come in, Nehemiah can't just come in and start building. There has to be a cleaning out of sort of what would, had remained. And that's where things can get a little messy. And so we're gonna jump into the book of Nehemiah. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn there. It's in the Old Testament, kind of in the middle-ish. Um, and you can um, jump in there if you want. Otherwise, it should be up on the screen for us. Uh, we're gonna jump in in chapter seven. And Nehemiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, I'll be reading from the ESV this morning. It says, Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Haniah, sorry, yeah, I practiced all these too, I read through all these, and I could still, Hanani and Hananiah, and the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they were still standing guard, let them shut the bar and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and some at their, at their guard posts and some in front of their own houses, or their homes, sorry. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who, who came up at the first, and I found written in it, and then it goes on with a very long list of names and homes and, and numbers, um, which we're not gonna go through all of those, but we'll kind of pause there for now. But let me pray as we be, uh, begin and continue on our time here uh, in the word. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for uh, this opportunity, Lord, to bring your word. And God, I just thank you that uh, it would truly speak to our hearts today, that you would just um, uh, say what needs to be said, Lord God, and God, that it would truly change us. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together, and we just trust, Lord, that you uh, will just bless this time in Jesus' name, amen. And so... Again, so here, you know, we see, as I said, the rest of chapter seven, it's, it's almost like this census of sorts with names and numbers. And because it was very important to, to document, if you will, the history here that's happening and, and, uh, and to document the, the families that had come out uh, of exile. Um, but before we go further, you know, and, and we'll spend some significant time uh, here in Nehemiah, I wanna just kind of unpack it and give you a little bit of background on the book itself. Um, actually, um, in, in the Bible, there's right before Nehemiah is Ezra. And in our, in our Bibles today, uh, those books are two set, they're listed as two separate books, but originally they were written as one book. Um, so they were, they were combined. And so if you do read Nehemiah, it's always good to go back to Ezra and understand that's all connected. Um, and it's covering about a century worth of time, almost just over 100 years time, from 538 to 433 B.C., um, the author, again, people go and kind of go back and forth. They think it may be Ezra, it may be Nehemiah, uh, but they believe that the same author of those two books uh, also wrote the Chronicles as well. And so, again, this is a very, you know, it's kind of a, a history, if you will, of, of the people of Israel and, and their journey um, as God was bringing them um, out of exile. 
And so, you know, it's important for us to understand that as we approach this book. But in this, in Ezra and Nehemiah, again, these two books now, but they are actually one, there's three stories, if you will. There's three kind of main characters that, that they kind of cover, that they walk through, and they parallel each other uh, very closely in, in the process or how it's carried out. And those three leaders um, are listed out. The first one shows up, and again, I don't know if anybody's used this as a, a name for a child, but uh, Zerubbabel, anybody heard that one before? Yeah, I don't know. I tried to convince Leanna of doing that, but she didn't go for it. Um, but, you know, that's, he shows up first in Ezra uh, uh, chapters 1 through 6. And, you know, here we have Zerubbabel, and he shows up on the scene. And what he wants to do first is to rebuild the temple, right? He wants to rebuild the temple because, again, the, the thought was, and they, they wanted to see God's presence return to them. Right? They'd been in exile. There was no temple to go worship the Lord. And so the first thing he wanted to do, understandably, and he felt that God had called him to do that, was to rebuild this temple. And so they do it. They rebuild the temple. And, you know, the, the anticipation, again, if you read the Old Testament, if you remember, when the temple was built or, you know, a significant sign of the temple or God's presence was this cloud or this fire would descend from heaven to the, to the holy place, Right? And so, you know, the, the thought was after they built this, we're going to have this big party and, and this cloud or the, the, the fire of God will descend and, and, and dwell in the temple once again. Anybody ever kind of plan something and it just kind of doesn't go the way you thought it would? That's what happens here, all right? So I mean, this is a much bigger scale because they build this huge temple, but guess what? The cloud doesn't fall. The fire doesn't come. And you talk about an awkward celebration um, I mean, the guest of honor doesn't really show up, right? God doesn't show up. And so, you know, it kind of is like this, this big, you know, build up to this point, and then it just kind of falls flat because there, and, and, and there's this great disappointment, like, what, where's the presence of God? Where, where has it gone? And then we move on uh, the, the back half of Ezra, chapters 7 through 10, and this is where Ezra comes onto the scene. And it's about 60 years after the temple was built, and he comes on the scene, and his kind of job or what he feels called to do or what God has told him to do was to teach the Torah and rebuild the community, okay? Basically bring the people back kind of to their roots, if you will. And so he's, he's investing and he's doing this, and, you know, he's, he's putting himself out there. He's, he's reading, and, and the word of God is being presented. And, you know, again, there's sort of this, um, you know, this, this buildup, if you will, this crescendo and, you know, he wants to bring this spiritual renewal among the people. But what happens is, again, there's this build-up, 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 but then it kind of falls flat. There's some issues with the people. Um, they've, you know, kind of intermingled with people outside of, of their, their race, like they, they weren't supposed to, what they were told not to do. Um, and so there's just these questions, and, and there's, uh, it just seems to fall flat. And again, they're, what are they doing? They're seeking, again, to see God's presence, to see God show up once again amongst his people. But it keeps falling flat. And now we come to Nehemiah where we're, we find ourselves today. And Nehemiah, again, he sets out, as many of you know, and if you, were ever, if you grew up in the church in Sunday school, you know, you might have practiced the, you know, the rebuilding the wall or maybe you built something or acted that out somehow of, of what that would look like. And so Nehemiah shows up, and he hears about the city and the ruins that it was in and what's happening, and he wants to go, and he gets permission to go rebuild the walls around the city. And so he sets out to build the walls up, 
of Jerusalem and restore the city to its greatness. And, you know, he does that and he, he finishes the, the project. But then again, it's some, it sort of falls flat a little bit because, again, it's, what he's seeing is people, their hearts are still not close to God. They're still far from God, and it's, it's not kind of playing out the way that it's supposed to. And if there's one thing I think we should learn from all three counts that we see happening, and I think what the, what the children of Israel are trying to do is they're trying to go back to recreate something that had happened in the past, right? They're trying to go back to, to something and do something that had happened at one point and had worked, and, and they, had saw, they had seen the, the presence of God and the power of God in that moment, but in essence, and really what God was trying to do was he was trying to move them forward to what he had in the future for them. I don't know about you if you're, you know, I know I think a lot of you are probably from this area, so maybe it's not as significant. But if you're kind of from a little bit of a distance and, you know, maybe you go back home, right? It's always fun for me to go back to my little hometown in Michigan. And, you know, I go back and even though I've been there a bunch of times, I still kind of think like, you know, if I go back to this place or this grocery store, you're going to see like certain people or it's going to be a certain way. Or maybe you, you come across somebody that you were in school with and maybe you were even friends, but you find that you're in much different places now in life. And there's always kind of almost like, I don't know, it's sort of a letdown, if you will, because you, you kind of maybe anticipate, even though you know better, but if you try to go back and you kind of try to almost like recreate, like, you know, I tried to show my kids things in my hometown and this was this and this and you know, I take them to the grocery store that was, you know, the, the place. It's pretty sad, I know. The grocery store was the place to go back. But it was a small town. So, hey, don't judge me. But um, that's where everybody hung out. And, and so, you know, you go to the grocery store now, and it's either gone or it's new ownership or it's just changed. And it's just kind of, it's just not the same anymore, is it? And, you know, I, again, I think for us, I think it's our nature to want to go back and recreate something that was special. But I, I don't think you can do that. I, I have not in, in my lifetime seen where you can go back because you try to do that, but you're always let down every single time because things change. We move and we're, we're moving along you know, in our lives and things are changing and things are moving. And so is the same with God. You know, we read in the scriptures about, you know, old wineskins versus new wineskins and, you know, that the spirit can't be poured out into an old wineskin because it can't stretch. It'll break. It'll burst. And so God is wanting to do new things. God is wanting to move to new places. But our nature is always trying to kind of hold on back here and wanting to go back. And so here we see this, this same kind of thing being played out. Now, again, maybe this has been a kind of a depressing story so far because everything seems to kind of fall on its face. But, but there is some good that comes out. And in, beginning in chapter 8 of, of Nehemiah, what we see is, is a spiritual renewal of sorts beginning to take place, all right? One of the first things that shows up, and again, one of the favorite things I know we love to do is there's a confession of sin. The people begin to confess their sins. You know, it's not so much that, again, they, they recognize the fact that they are in a different place and that they have made mistakes. Anybody in here made a few mistakes in life? <laughs> but praise the Lord, you know, it's, it begins by just confessing our sin to God. And so, again, the people begin to confess their sins, and they see this kind of renewal in the covenant taking place. And they, they vow that they will follow, you know, the Torah, begin to walk out things as they should, and there's a great celebration. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, 
In verse 1, it says, And all the people gathered as one man, meaning just as one group of people, into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they had heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and the, and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So again, here, imagine this scene. You know, you had this huge kind of gathering of all the people. All the people came out, they gather in this huge crowd and it's not to see some kind of, you know, rock star con concert or something going on. It's so that they can hear the word of God read aloud. And it's funny, it, or in the sense of it's interesting, that they're the ones, it says, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of, of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. The, the people wanted to hear this. They wanted to hear the word of God. And, you know, we're gathered here today, and, and we're hearing the word of God. And, you know, a question I guess I would pose to us today is, is do we want to hear the word of God? <laughs> you know, do we walk into this building? Do we gather in this room in, in a group of people or, or get online and watch this service? Are we desiring for the word? Because the word of God is what changes our hearts, right? The word of God is what, again, it, it pierces to the depths of who we are. And I think, you know, where, where we have seen them fail this, in this story so far, in this account, is, is they failed in the sense that they were trying to do things in their own power. They were trying to kind of fix things on their own, and it wasn't happening. And so now the word of God shows up, and again, you begin to have this response of, you know, there's this confession of sin and, and the covenant renewal. And so things begin to happen when the word of God goes forth, doesn't it? And, and we need to make sure we latch on to that today. And so, again, we see Ezra, and, and we can jump down uh, to verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen. Amen means so be it. Amen, amen. Lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, I probably read maybe just 20 words there, but think, I want you to picture that image of what those words painted just now. There's something significant that happens. Again, the, the, the thing that they are seeking, they're, they're seeking, again, God. They're seeking his presence to know his, his face, not just what he can give them. Their hearts are broken to the point where, again, they're face down on the ground. And, and they want to, again, there, there's a repentance and they want to just move in the right direction of where God is calling them to. And it finishes in, or this, this kind of scene in, in verse eight. And it says, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Again, it's important for us to understand and for us to hear the word of God and to understand what we're hearing. And so a critical part, again, of any re return to worship is the willingness of the people to come to listen, not just with their ears, but with their hearts to the word. 
I love, you know, talking to some of you after services or during the week, and, you know, there's something that maybe you took from the service on the Sunday prior that, that kind of stuck with you, that put it into application, right? Because if we're not careful, again, as I've said many times, we can walk out those doors and kind of almost when you, it's like, like a, an invisible thing that kind of just wipes your mind when you walk out the door and you've got to kind of shift gears to what's ahead. But I encourage you, you know, when you're sitting in here and God is speaking to you through his word, make sure you make note of that. Come back to it on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, throughout the week. Because what is that doing? It's, it's, it's God is dealing with something in you. And the beauty of God's word is it's, it's, it's gonna be probably a little different for each person here. I mean, the, the truth of it's the same, but how it applies to your life may vary a little bit. But we're called to that, to that, right? To, to change, to become more like Christ because God, again, is wanting to bring us to himself. And so again, we see here as the people stood and Ezra read from the law, from the platform here, and they listened attentively. They were reminded once again of the power of God's word and his commands. Now, it's a great picture, and I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer or whatever, but unfortunately by the end of the chapter, or by the end of the book, I should say, of, of Nehemiah, things do shift. Things kind of fall apart again. And what happened is Nehemiah went around the city and he found that people were just weren't, they weren't honoring any of, of the work that had been put into bringing the teachings back or the rebuilding of the walls. The temple was being neglected. They were, they were working on the Sabbath. They were doing all these things. And again, this is sort of, we're kind of coming back around to that same point. You know, what, what happened here? What's the problem that, that keeps surfacing in different ways? And it's simply, they, they did the external things. They said the things. And some of them may, may even been heartfelt, if you will, at least in the moment. But we can see by what happens at the end that their hearts are still far from the Lord. And I think, you know, we can, we can read these accounts and we can look at this and we can be a little judgy sometimes. <laughs> because don't our hearts do the same thing? If they're not anchored down in the word, you know, why, why is it that, again, we hear the word here and why is it, is, is it important for us to spend time in the word throughout the week and in prayer? It's because we can drift, can't we? Our hearts can be just like we see played out here. And that's not what God wants. God wants our hearts to be close to him. God wants us to be in his word where it cleanses us and washes us and renews us and, and brings us back to himself. So you may be asking the question, you know, here we are, we're looking at this account in Nehemiah in the Old Testament many, 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 many years ago. And, and what can we take from that today? <laughs> How can we apply this today? And simply comes back, again, we have to address our own hearts or our souls, our, our inner person. In Romans 12 and verse 2, pretty familiar scripture probably for a lot, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and by testing, the te by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So again, there's a warning there that, that, that the world can suck you in. You can conform. And I mean, it doesn't take much to look around. And many, many uh, churches nowadays are starting to conform more to culture than they are to the word of God. 
There's a, a cultural tsunami, if you will, taking place. And if you're not grounded deeply where you need to be in God's word, in the scripture, you can easily be sucked downstream. We have to be, be, be in the word. We have to be in prayer. And if we are to be open, again, to the true worship that God is calling us to, it begins with looking at ourselves, our inner person. In, in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, it says, And behold, a lawyer. So this lawyer comes up, and he's trying to trap Jesus, and he presents a question. And he stands up to put Jesus to the test. And he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him. And he says, well, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? Again, we can learn a lot from Jesus. You know, he's answering somebody with a question. <laughs> and so this lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. And Jesus said, do this, and you will live. So what ha what's happening here in this moment, in this snapshot, as, as this lawyer brings this question to Jesus, and again, the lawyer rattles off what he's supposed to, doesn't he? He says, he says exactly word for word, and, you know, and, and that, that command, if you will, you know, with all your heart, with all your soul, your strength, your mind, that's your whole person, isn't it? <laughs> it's everything that you are. You're supposed to love the Lord your God. And so this lawyer here knows the things to say, but we can see by his motive that he was, his heart was far from the Lord, wasn't it? He was trying to lay a trap for Jesus, the Messiah, <laughs> foolishly. And we see, again, very clearly where his heart. And so we use this word heart, if you will, and the heart is really just the inner person, isn't it? The heart is, is our, our inner person that we, uh, who we really are, who we are like eternally, if you will, that goes on into eternity. Not this physical being you see, but our inner person. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard, he said that this commandment, referring to what we just covered here with this lawyer, what he said, this commandment does not so much tell us what we must do as what we must cultivate in the care of our souls. How many doers are in here? <laughs> A few. I'm a doer. I mean, I mean, it's okay. It's not a trick question. Don't be afraid. So, again, there's something about when we're in a situation and if we want to be able to do something, right? If, if it's fixing something or, you know, if there's a problem or an issue, we want to be able to put our hand to something. But how many know if you live on this earth long enough, you come into those situations where there's nothing you can do, right? And that is hard, right? <laughs> I don't know about you, but to feel that, that feeling of helplessness, like there's, there's nothing I can physically, anything, anything I can do to fix this or to even change it, right? That in itself is, is, a, is such a, a difficult moment and a difficult challenge because we realize, again, you come to that point where you need help, and it's the same way with, with our inner man, our inner person. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, there are things in life that I should have learned by now. You're chuckling because you agree with me, right? <laughs> okay. We, sh 
There's th- there are things in life, again, God, God and, but God is patient, amen? And we keep coming back to that same place, and he wants to keep dealing with it. He's like, give me that part of your heart. Give me, give me that, and let me do something with it. You know, maybe you struggle with anger. Maybe you struggle, you know, to just, with pride. Maybe whatever it is. And God wants to keep bringing you back. He's like, okay. Just like the children of Israel, right? Make another lap around the desert <laughs> for 40 years. Just keep making laps because they couldn't figure it out and get it right. And it's the same with us in life. He's like, okay, make another lap. I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna get you there. And we keep doing it. But we, we need help. And there's this, this, this phrase or this term called soul care. And, you know, it's kind of, I, I think it's a newer maybe term um, because a lot of people have figured out that, that there's something there that we need to, there's, there's, we have to take care of our, our inner person. And again, it comes with God's help. So very briefly, you know, there's a lot of ways for the inner person. Sometimes spirit and soul are interchangeable. But the way I usually present it and that, I think the easiest to understand is, you know, we're a spirit, we live in a body, and we have this soul part of us, and I, I break it down to like mind, will, and emotions, you know, that, that part of our, our being, if you will, because again, our soul, if our mind, it can be swayed, perverted, or manipulated, right? Because when we, when we come to Christ, and Christ comes in and lives and dwells in us by his spirit, you know, our, our spirit is made whole in that moment, but again, it's our mind, will, and emotions, our soul, if you will, is, is, being, is being restored, and it's, a, it's an ongoing, lifelong process. And so our mind is part of that. It can be swayed. Our will, it can be broken, right? It can be changed. It can be manipulated, if you will. And our emotions can be abused, damaged, and seared. And so all these things, if, as we walk through life, we can kind of you know, hit these spots where we're damaged. And if we don't address it and don't allow God to kind of work in that area, we can really kind of walk along with a limp for a very long time, can't we? There's probably in a room this size, there are probably, there's probably something that happened to you long, long ago, maybe even from your childhood, that caused emotional damage or mental damage to you that you've kind of learned to cover it up maybe. But you've not really let God because you, you, it takes trust to allow the Holy Spirit to go into that place. And it, allows, it takes trust to be able to walk through and, and bring healing to that place because you have to open it up, don't you? And so I think we, we, we are very good at building, um, you know, it's almost like, you know, you get a sliver or you get something under your skin. And if you leave it, it'll kind of scab over, but it's, it's never going to heal properly, is it? until you go in there and get that thing out. Now again, I don't know if you remember your childhood, I don't know about you, but if you've ever fallen and gotten like that pebble or that rock under your skin, you can almost feel it, right, when I'm talking about it. And you know that you've got to get to that point and you're just going to have to grit your teeth and get under there and get that thing out of there and clean it. And then what happens, then it can heal properly, right? But the reality is, is that same kind of picture applies to our inner person, and especially in the area of our soul, our, our mind, our will, and emotions, where something has damaged or something got in there at some point. And it was easier kind of to leave it for a moment, and it gets covered up, and we just sort of kind of go along through life without ever really dealing with the root of it. I wasn't planning to share this this morning, but I, I wanna just touch on this just a little bit more because let me just tell you this, and I wanna give you just a bit of a warning. The enemy always looks, anytime that there is some significant moment in your life, meaning like maybe there's a death, maybe there's some kind of tragedy, 
something that happens like that significantly, and that is the enemy's opportunity that if you're not careful as to how you walk through that, the enemy can get in there or put something in there that sticks with you until you, you come around to the point where you need to deal with it. And for us as a Western culture, we, we do not, we do not, um, we don't, we haven't learned to, to grieve through as a process that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be even upset about things. That it's a process. Don't, am I, you understand what I'm saying? We want to quickly move past, don't we? <laughs> when we're hurting inside, when there's, there's something going on or we're struggling with something, it's just we just want to get to the other side of it. Instead of stopping and, and, and taking our time and letting, letting our soul process. You know it's okay to cry? It's okay to weep? It's okay to mourn the loss of something or someone? It's okay. <laughs> but our culture doesn't give you that opportunity, does it? Because we move in our Western culture at such a fast pace. This is, while living in the Middle East, something I, I just, I found very um, healthy in one sense because they have a season of mourning. When someone dies, there is a time of mourning that takes place because you need that time just to, to process, to be sad. <laughs> now, again, you don't want to live there for the rest of your life, but what you do and how you walk that out and, and making sure that you're dealing with it properly That'll, that'll affect you the rest of your life if you're not careful. And so this idea of, of caring for our, our inner person, and listen, <laughs> if you don't allow the Lord into that, that, that process, you're gonna miss it. You can get the best counselor, you can get the best whatever, and, you know, and if you're just dealing it with kind of like this sterile sort of approach, because the Holy Spirit is the one that knows us best. And he'll get down below the surface and he'll get to the root of that if you let him. And now I think it's good to talk to somebody and it's good to walk through that with someone. But our hope can't be in person because that's, isn't that what we just saw here, right? That we've covered today in the Old Testament. That's what we saw. We saw these, these three major figures, these, these men trying to do something. <laughs> and even, you know, with God's green light, if you will. But they could not bring the people back to the place that they needed to be, right? Because again, the people's hearts were, were far from the Lord. So as we wrap this up today, I just wanna leave us with a few thoughts. While Nehemiah had, again, he, he was successful in rebuilding the physical wall. But what was essential was that he restore true worship, right? That, that true worship was restored. I shouldn't say he restored true worship, but that, the, that there was true worship restored to the people. Have you heard where it says in the scripture that, that again, it, it God inhabits the praises of his people, right? So when we got gathered here this morning, we were standing here, we were singing. <laughs> and again, I'm not gonna make eye contact with anybody right now. But if I were to ask you, I'll just look up here. Where, where, where was your mind when you were singing this morning? What were you thinking? You know, we, we, we sing these songs, we, and even especially the songs, man, when we hit How Great Thou Art, man, you guys sounded good. And you know the words. But are you singing from your heart? <laughs> right? 
There's nothing wrong with singing loud and proud and, and knowing the words. There's nothing wrong with that. But were you singing from here? When I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made. Did, did, you, did you think of anything when you were singing that? I'm preaching to myself too, so don't feel bad. Like if you see me up here ever and I'm staring off like at the wall, it's just because I'm trying to like keep my mind focused on God, you know, because I can get distracted very easily. And I just wanna challenge this church, and this is a message for us today. This is what I wanna encourage you. It's, it's, it's we've gotta come back to that place of, of true worship to God, where our hearts are engaged and we're singing from that inner person to the Lord and crying out to God. You see, again, here we see that, that what, they, what they miss here, and what we talked about today, is that they failed to realize that God was no longer looking to inhabit a man-made structure. The beauty of it was the gift of the promised Messiah and the promise of the Holy Spirit that was coming to indwell in God's creation, God's structure, which is you. Do you understand that you don't have to, I mean, thankful that we gather together, that we need that, we uplift one another when we do that. But when you walk out of here, the spirit of God, the presence of God doesn't have to leave you because he dwells and walks with you and in you. You don't have to walk into a structure to sense or feel the presence of God. Just show up right where you are, wherever you are. But we have to come with the right heart. We have to come, again, with this heart of worship. I mean, many of you may be familiar with that, that song, Heart of Worship, and the story behind it. Well, again, Matt Redman wrote it. But the church that he was in, in England, the pastor there felt that the congregation had drifted, had lost what that was to truly worship God. And so they literally wiped out like all the instruments, speaker, everything. And it was like, when you come, the question was something along the lines of, what are you bringing to offer to the Lord? You know, we, we, we're not talking about finance, we're talking about what are you gonna lift up from yourself to God? And they would sit there and it said even in awkward silence sometimes. <laughs> and pretty soon somebody would start singing from the depths of their heart to the Lord. And they went through this season to bring people back to what? To the heart of worship. Where is our heart today? We should always pause and reflect if our worship is genuine or are we just going through the motions? Man, isn't that hard though? It's hard, I admit it, it's hard, you know? Most Sunday mornings I come in here, a wing of prayer, probably one of the wings is on fire, you know? I have a family, I have everything else going on and you're probably the same, but we gotta make sure we, again, approach this time and come into this time whenever we walk into to God's presence with reverence and making sure our heart is in the right place. Are we open today to allow the word of God to penetrate deep into our souls to the point that it brings about change? How many love change? <laughs> it gets harder the older we get, doesn't it? But God is still in the, in the business. He wants to bring us again along. He wants us to move us to that next place. But no one can, can really change us except for Jesus Christ, amen? Amen, would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you for every single person here or every person watching online. 
And God, as we enter into this series called Exiles, and, and God, that, that we're, we're focused on really coming back to this, this, this place of repentance, Lord. God, it's not that we come to you the first time and repent of our sins and you come into our lives as Lord and Savior and that's it and we're done, Lord. It's, it's, it's an ongoing moment by moment process sometimes that we have to repent, Lord. But that truly is the beauty of the cross and the work that Jesus did. God, we are so grateful for the work of the cross and that it's never ending. And God, that we can always come with, a, with an open heart and, and confess, Lord, our sin, the places that we've missed it. Not so that we can go back and do that sin all over again, but God, just that, that we can give it to you, that you can help us, Lord, that you can give us the strength, Lord, to, to come out of that and come to a place of freedom, Lord. There's nothing here on earth, there's nothing that the enemy brings or throws at us, Lord, that is greater than you. So God, I just pray for each person here, whatever it is that they're facing this morning, Lord, that they would truly turn it over to you, that they would trust you with it, and that God, you would meet them in that place. God, that you would be their strength in their weakness. God, that you would meet them, Lord, in their brokenness. And God, that you would love them, Lord, through every struggle and every trial. As your word promises, Lord, that you will always be there, that you stick closer than a brother. And so God, I thank you that we are not alone, that we have our brothers and sisters in Christ, but Lord, more importantly, Lord, that, that you dwell with us today. So God, I thank you that you have spoken to us today through your word, and God, that you, again, have challenged us to come to that place where our hearts are engaged with our mouth and our actions, and, and God, we are truly uh, worshiping you from our innermost person. And we thank you, Lord, that you've made a way for us to have that relationship with you and to have that connection with you, Lord, that you're not a God who's far off in far, some far distant place, but that you are a God who dwells with us and in us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And may you again bless that. Call us, Lord, deeper in Jesus' name.